Hi, I'm Peter Whittle. Now, just a very quick message from me, uh, a reminder about our upcoming national conference. It's on Saturday, the 22nd of April. That's the day before St. George's Day in Birmingham. Do get your tickets. It will be a great day. So uh, to do that, just go to the link below this video. That's our conference, NCF in Birmingham, 22nd of April. See you then. You're watching Deprogrammed. I'm Harrison Pitt, a writer for the European Conservative, and today I'm going to be talking about transgenderism with Evan Riggs, who is a freelance journalist, and Jess Gill, who is the host of Reason UK. And before we get going, we're going to watch a clip of Jess in action. What is a woman? Oh, that's a question. Um, I, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I used to know. What is a woman? Uh, <laughs> precious human being, I'd say. This is a woman. Um, any person who feels that they're a woman and or were born, born as a woman. What does it mean to feel like a woman? Um, that ranges for every single person and how they feel that for themselves. Um, for me, I think it's mainly how other people view me in society. So Jess, clearly you've been making a bit of a nuisance of yourself on the streets of Britain. What's it been like engaging with people on these sorts of points? Yeah, it's been interesting everywhere from Manchester to London. No one can define what a woman is apparently. Uh, people think that I edit it out, I just select answers. I include everyone who I interview. And no one can define that a woman is another human female. It's so it's so silly. What's the world come to? Yes, no, it, it is extraordinary, Evan. Well, I think it's a sad state of affairs where people who are, you know, clearly at least moderately intelligent are using every last brain cell that they can to lie straight to your face. Like we all sort of intrinsically know what a woman is and it's kind of like the uh, the bell curve meme right like you've got absolute idiots on one end who just can basically say it's a adult human female and then you've got people who are willing to actually tell the truth and have a little bit of intelligence as well as character we're not afraid of the social you know penalties that might come with just stating an obvious fact and then you've all these people kind of here in the middle which are being featured in your videos who are coming up with these like lengthy paragraphs to explain away obvious nonsense. Mm. We all know what a woman yes. is. It, it also goes to show how sort of skin deep, confused and unsophisticated this ideology is. I mean, the, the fact that even its most sort of fanatical adherents, under reasonably gentle questioning, I mean, you're not going in all guns blazing, you're just asking what is a woman, you're just making just standard definitional questions, just asking them to explain themselves. And these are the most sort of, fanat as I say, the most fanatical adherents, they can't explain it. And so it, 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 in many ways, it does have all the hallmarks of, of a cult that is very much sort of making itself up as it, uh, as it, as it goes along. And uh, I think the even more extraordinary thing is not just that they're in incapable of defending this ideology, despite being incapable of defending it, despite being incapable of, as you say, Evan, of even defending it to themselves in their own sort of private thoughts, they nevertheless have the confidence and the arrogance to feel as though they're entitled to assert this ideology onto everybody else. I, I wonder where that arrogance comes from if they can't actually explain the ideology. Do you have thoughts on that? Yeah, Jess? I don't think uh, they actually think about it. A common thing that people say, conservatives say, is that they're scared to say the real thing. They know what it is, but they're scared to say it. We all know that they know what a woman is, mm. but I don't think it's fear. I think they just haven't thought about this. I don't think they're scared of the repercussions of saying that a woman is an adult human female. I just think they think it's fine to be, you know, they want to be tolerant. Um, they don't see the 
consequences of this gender ideology, which is women, um, men going into women's spaces, competing in women's sports, um, the stuff with children, with the Tavistock Clinic, as we've seen, mm. all these really awful things on society. They don't see that, they just see pronoun badges and mm. putting your pronouns in your bio and this inclusivity thing. So I think it's so important that we change the narrative with mm. that. Because once people start to think, and you can tell that they've not thought about this. When I ask them, they've not thought about this. Mm. They've not tried to justify um, it's in their own mind. They've just accepted it. Mm. And you can see them trying to justify it and come up with answers. It's just mm. so interesting. It is extremely interesting. I, it's also funny in, in a way that, I mean, this is an orthodoxy which began to start taking root probably in around 2015. I mean, in 2012, no one was really talking no. about any of this. Um, and. I think that comes across quite well. There's the, the, the moment which I think is most instructive in the video, the moment which I think, it's only three words or so, but it, it, it contains a lot of uh, substance. When one of the women you were asking in that video says, oh, I used to know. <laughs> <laughs> I used to know what a woman was in, about, in those, you know, those simpler days of 2014. Yeah, I mean, I was watching a video of the new Prime Minister of New Zealand a few days ago, who's a 40-year-old man. <laughs> so yes. 10 years ago, I'm sure he would have been able to define it. And now mm -hmm. he's, he's running like a major Western country. Yes. And someone just asks him, what is a woman? And he just sits there and like terrified. So he's like, I'm not a biologist. <laughs> or, or you have this. You, know, you went, you went, oh, you stumped me with that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or it's like this recent like uh, Supreme Court justice who was uh, brought yes, in a year ago in America. Jackson, I think. Yeah, yes. they asked her when they were swearing her in, yes. and they, they have to go through like this interview process yes. publicly. And she was like, "That's yes. what she said. I'm not a biologist." Yes. And I think the problem is, is that you know we all know the, these are lies. Mm -hmm. um, I think they're this sort of gender ideology does have a few fanatics who are deeply confused. But when you lie like that, mm -hmm. even if you think it's you know very small lie or a white lie, mm. basically just because you want to be agreeable and you want to kind of go along to get along. Mm. It reminds me a lot of uh, like stories of uh, prisoners of war, actually, in, in Vietnam. And what would happen is they would, uh, they would try to get these guys to, to denounce America. Uh, and what they would the do, people who've been captured by the people who've been captured exactly, yeah. and you know you can't just immediately put a camera into their face and say like okay like tell us about uh, the great Satan in the West. Yeah. What would happen is they would try to get them to make small lies and small mm. concessions. Mm. He's like, okay, America's not a perfect country. Mm. And then they give you like a little extra rice and they let you sleep a little bit longer. And gradually over a time span of mm. months, you know, you go from okay, America's not perfect. To America is evil, and by mm. the time that a lot of these guys got rescued, they they fully believed it. Yes. And it was this sort of slow, slow, gradual move away from yes. what they truly believed until they were completely brainwashed. Yes. And I think the same thing is happening with not only adults who used to be able to define what a woman is, mm. but also to a lot of young people who have been completely captured mm. by this ideology. And I think the uh, the deprogramming of these people is going to be like a, a generational effort. And that's why we're here. We're trying, yeah. to, try, try, trying to get it started. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, what do you think? I, I don't know whether either of you have thoughts, have thoughts on this. What, what would be the purpose of engaging in that sort of project? Why are people's? I mean, it, it makes sense that the North Vietnamese in a time of war might want to degrade and humiliate, you know, prisoners of war. Why do elites in advanced Western societies want to degrade and humiliate um, their own people? Well. If, if, that's, if, that, if that is what's going on, I, mean, I suspect you, you, you might be right about that. I don't know if it's a con. I think the degradation is a sort of secondary effect. I think a lot of this is uh, luxury beliefs, which is mm. a term coined by Rob Henderson. That it's Cambridge, a way to kind yeah. of status signal. And a lot, mm. we've seen this with a lot of charities like uh, Glad in America, which was originally about you know moving forward gay rights. Well, gay people have all the same mm. rights. They can get married now. They mm. can they can have kids. 
Um, so these organizations didn't just self-destruct. Mm -hmm. They had to find a new thing to kind of press on with. And they decided to land on trans. True. Um, I do think a lot of it is also just pure resentment. And a lot of these people who are, are dealing with, you know, their own personal identity issues really want to tear down, you know, women like Jess or, or Posey Parker, who I know you were defending out in the park, because they represent something that they can never be. So you have mm -hmm. a lot of people getting kind of pushed and prodded along by a sort of hyper-agreeable status signaling elite mm. into genuine mental mm. illness. And as we've mm. seen recently in America, violence. Yes, you, you, you speak about Rob Henderson there, um, who is doing valuable work on this phenomenon that you, you, know, you describe as luxury beliefs. He's working at Cambridge at the moment. And one of the things uh, he, he talks about in, in, in relation to luxury beliefs is that any sort of harm caused by these beliefs is the, the, the elites are shielded from those harms. So they work as status signals because they don't actually have a material effect on the people who subscribe to those beliefs. Why, why do you think that that's a mistaken view to take of many of these sort of transgenderist dogmas? Why do you think they are, in fact are costly and they cannot afford to be treated as mere luxury beliefs? Yeah, it's a tough one. It's a bit different from immigration because, you know, every woman uses public toilets, every woman uh, well, a lot of women, regardless of class, mm. um, do sports. Mm. Um, a lot of people, you know, a lot of parents whose children went to the Tavistock Clinic mm. were probably middle class. Yes. So I don't think it's really a class thing. But I do think there are a lot of people who aren't, don't see the negative side of this until they are impacted by this. Like mm. there was a video of this girl crying um, and it was, it was really sad. And basically what happened was that because Primark made their, this was like a few months ago, they've reverted the policy now, okay. um, because they made the changing rooms um, yeah. unisex, anyone could go in. And yeah. this young girl felt um, felt exposed because men kept on like peeking through the changing rooms yeah. and that safeguard wasn't there anymore, that gender wasn't there anymore. Um, and exposed us to that. But even in the video, she was still like, oh, I'm pro-trans people, I, I understand the importance yes, of yes. this. It's so sad. Still feels the need to signal, even though she has been harmed by them. Oh, uh, she's actively crying as sure. well. While actively crying, she's sort of still yeah. saying, I'm not a bigot. <laughs> yeah. that, might be, that might be motivated by fear, given that she's sort of been propelled mm. to the public eye. Do you have something to say about uh, Well, I think a lot of these people are just terrified because, I mean, if the wrong video goes out and goes viral of you, mm. you know, even just stating a simple biological fact these days, yes. I mean, depending on where you work, you could lose your job, mm. you could lose your friends. I mean, mm. people are really coming for uh coming for the turfs and mm. for the uh dedicated mums on mums nuts of course like, I mean, we saw go on, continue. just that you know we only have to look at what happened to, to posey parker yeah. in new zealand or to this girl uh riley games or grimes or whatever in uh in america at uh explain what happened to, to, to riley uh, she's uh sort of like a college level swimmer mm. um who was kind of originally catapulted to fame because uh this biological male swimmer came in and just started dominating the fields and so mm. she went from you know first to second place overnight after you know an entire life's worth of work sure. and she went and did a speech I think it was at San Francisco State University or City University mm. and she was chased off stage and barricaded into a room by mm. these sort of uh, 
um, sane gender activists mm. uh, who then demanded that she give them all each $10 <laughs> and they would let her go home. Doesn't sound remotely arbitrary. Well, these people are clearly <laughs> motivated by just kindness and compassion oh, and, course, and yeah. they really yes. just, you know, want to make sure yes. that trans people are treated with respect, which is why they're chasing young women through university hallways. This, this is something we're going to get to at the moment because we've been talking about the sort of the, the logic of trans ideology, but I think it's something which is becoming increasingly a, th a, a, a threat uh, in, 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 in uh, Western countries. But before I, I do, do you think, I wonder if you're optimistic, Jess, do you, do you think that enough of these examples, the fact that we every week now we see examples of just trans madness proliferating on social media, do you sense that there is a, a, a civilized backlash brewing? A part of me thinks so, um, but mostly like, it's so, it's so depressing when you go out in the street, even in Liverpool, the first time I did a Vox Pop, um, mm. asked the question, this was before Matt Walsh did it. Um, I did ah, it first. you coined it? Yeah. Have you, have you tried to claim some of the money he Not made yet. off what is a woman? <laughs> <laughs> but um, I went out in Liverpool. I had like no idea what was going to happen. Sure. This is the first time I did it. I was really nervous as well. Yeah. And so I just asked people. I asked people a range of ages and stuff. And they all said they couldn't define what a woman is. Mm. None of them could define what a woman is in Liverpool as mm. well. So a part of me is like, no, I, I don't see much hope for the future. Mm. There's, so, there's so much amazing activism from the gender critical community. Um, like I was at a protest the other day uh, with Posey Parker, a speaking event. Sure. And it was so amazing to see these women, mothers, um, women with jobs, they have other commitments in their life, dedicate you know, all the, this time towards this movement. It's clearly something they're passionate about. And I really want to be optimistic about mm. that because it's so amazing to see mm. women so passionate about mm. this. Like, I dare say it's the biggest thing since Brexit. Yes. But yes. on the other side as well, like everyone believes in it. When I was at school, which was two years ago, I was in sixth form, and um, we celebrated World Pronouns Day. Um, it's quite a celebration. Yeah. <laughs> Two of my friends, it was lockdown, accelerated everything. Two of my friends came out as non-binary. Um, it, it was it was absolute madness. One of the, these are people particularly vulnerable as well. Yes. One of them was raised in a cult um, and she got out of that and now she's... Into a new one. Yeah. <laughs> reverting back to me. Reverting back to me. The other one was this guy I knew since primary school. I spoke about this um, during the protest, uh, during the speaking event sure. the other day. Sure. Um, I knew him since primary school. He tried to kill himself in primary school. Um, clearly some background home issues going on. After lockdown, he comes to me, he's like, Jess, I'm gender fluid. And I'm just like, what do you mean by that? Yeah. And he said, I don't know. I'm confused. <laughs> really? <And> he's now <laughs> a very honest answer in a way. Yes. Yeah, but he's now doubled down on this. Okay. He's going by a woman's name. Mm. And I just think like the systems failed them completely. The I mean, education system, the NHS, mm. they've completely failed them. Because mm. what if he you know, wants to go through surgery and all that exactly. when he didn't have to? He just needed help. He just needed support. Exactly. This is one of the points that was made. I think it was roughly August, wasn't it, that Dr. Hillary Casey's report on the tra on the Tavistock Clinic, mm -hmm, yeah. uh, August of last year, obviously, that that came out. And one of the points which um, Dr. Casey made is that there needs to be a much more holistic approach to the way in which these clearly very confused young people who often have sort of cognate disorders, whether it's autism or other sort of mental health issues, which are really motivating this confusion. And yet, they, you know, the, the, the urge from, from, from the left-wing establishment is, that, no, no, we need to affirm this confused uh, form of gender identity. I mean, Joe Biden even said recently in an interview that it was sinful, sinful yeah. of 
uh, for you know governors in states like Texas, Tennessee, and Florida to be <laughs> limiting the access that children can have to this gender-affirming care, which can be sort of mutilating and incredibly dangerous. I mean, again, Joe Biden is like 80 years old. Mm. Uh, and the idea that he held these beliefs even when he was 72 is just patently insane. Mm. And I think a lot of the pushback from this is going to come, it's going to come from a few different directions. I mean, I know people are pretty pessimistic about the state of the UK, but in a way, I think, compared to New Zealand or Canada or, or America, uh, Britain has kind of the best chance of fighting back against a lot of this. You know, uh, Turf Island is kind of held strong. But I think America, if you look at, you know, the... the you just call England Turf Island. <laughs> I have not coined that phrase. I've read that online. I like it. Yeah. Um, it's trans, exclusionary, radical feminist, uh, these aisles. Not bad. Uh, but Sorry. I think if you look at Joe Biden's response... Uh, in the wake of the shooting that happened in Tennessee, yes. where he said that transgender people have have always shaped the character of, of the nation of America, it's like mm. it's just bizarre, mm. and it's even more bizarre to say that days after you know a shooting at a at a Christian school yes. where six people died, three of them children under 10 years old, Absolutely, and you come out and you double down on the trans narrative. He, he made a joke as well, which is an, an, an incredibly bad you could yeah. You couldn't picture Trump. Trump is brash, obviously everyone knows that, even people who like him know it. But um, you couldn't picture him in a million years being asked, you know, I think Joe Biden was asked by a right-wing reporter, you know, uh, do you think that this shooting in, in Tennessee was motivated by, uh, by anti-Christian hatred? And he said, I don't know. And the guy said, well, Senator Josh Hawley, who's a Republican Catholic, has said that. And he said, oh, well, in that case, I probably don't think that then. So making a sort of a, a very sort of um, poor, a quip, which is an extremely poor taste, three days after three Christian children and three Christian teachers had been, had been shot dead. And there's also the, the, the point to be made as well that um, whenever there is a sort of a mass shooting which was committed by you know, a white supremacist, let's take the example of Christchurch in, in New Zealand, the manifesto written mm, by yeah. that shooter is released within two days because the, and then you know the usual suspects you know gather around that manifesto they you know pick from it selectively and they try and tar the right generally with this atrocity in this case you know, apparently this shooter did um did write such a manifesto before going on this killing rampage, and it still hasn't been released to the public. And th th there was a there was a public interest in knowing exactly what this think shooter was thinking. There, there needs to be a shared standard across the board. You can't release some manifestos to the pu to, to, to public view and not others. Well, also too, I mean, there is a social contagion effect among shooters, and this has been well known ever since Columbine, where you know you have one shooting, and then within a short time period after, you have a bunch more. Or, or at least attempts, and there was another attempt in Colorado, which is mm. also a kind of a breeding ground for mass shooters because of Columbine, um, where a sort of gender fluid, non-binary kind of type um, attempted to go shoot up in schools and, and was thankfully stopped. Mm. But they, this person, they, he, she, however this potential shooter would like to be identified, mm. did have a manifesto, and parts mm. of it were released even before the Nashville shooting one, partly because it tarred folks like, I think Lauren Southern and Donald Trump were in there, yeah, yeah. his person's personal thoughts against them. Yes. So I mean, not only have we had a little bit of a, a social contagion effect, which is also, you know, you could argue that trans people are kind of primed for this. You know, this is Lisa Littleman's work out of uh, Rhode Island with uh, autistic girls, but also you're having 
quite obvious sort of differentiations in the news coverage around it based on the politica politicization of it. Yes. Do you sense that this is getting, that obviously it's incredibly illogical and your videos are immense fun to watch for that reason, but do you sense that as, as well as being a slight laughing matter, it's getting more dangerous and more demented, the rhetoric's getting much more heated to the point where these sorts of um, you know, attacks, whether they're sort of you know, just attacks on people like Posey Parker or you know, mass shootings, are, are, are more likely, is that what you sense? Yeah, it's interesting because the whole trans ideology debate um, is it it is harmful. Like mm. it's harmful to trans kids. It's harmful as in like transition kids. Yeah, trans I, kids don't <laughs> exist. Um, it's harmful towards yes. the women yes. um, who are impacted by this. Mm -hmm. And it just doesn't, it's illogical, it doesn't mm. make sense. Mm. But the rhetoric itself, it's like you can tell who the good guys and the bad guys are. We have these grown men mm. screaming at women, mm. like it's terrible, it, mm. it's abusive, it's it's awful. And mm. with the Posey Parker thing as well, it, it's, it is heartbreaking mm. to see these brave women standing mm. up mm. against these raging men, mm. you know, and they're unapologetic about it. I remember um, in Manchester actually, where I'm from, um, there was a group, um, I can't remember which group, but a gender critical group. Um, and it was, I think it was just a meeting in a private building. But this led to a mass protest by trans rights activists. And they were screaming, turfs get off our effing turf. Yeah, yeah. Like this massive group, there must have been like at least a hundred um, raging outside that building that's mm. so threatening mm. that's so intimidating have you not, have you ever felt intimidated when you go to these sorts of events yourself i mean but one thing we might it's, it's like detour perhaps but i mean you, you mentioned when you were younger and you heard these sorts of ideas being you know, passed around why didn't why do you think you never sort of why, why do you think you slipped the net why do you think you never bought into them <laughs> which you clearly have and why do you think you 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 never bought into them and do you feel scared when you're going to these events and being very you know public facing with your opinions um, so the reason why I don't think I've been brought into it is because of Ben Shapiro. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Ben. Uh, yeah, I was, um, before I knew anything about this, I was watching Ben Shapiro yeah. videos when I was like 14. Oh, great. And that was, that was great, that was fantastic. Um, so I only saw that side of it. I, I saw the illogical side of it first mm. before I was like subject to that. And I'm, you know, I really enjoy politics, mm. obviously. Mm. Um, so looking at it from a political perspective, instead sure. of just accepting it as just common knowledge, I think mm. that's really helped. Um, what was the second question? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's very interesting. Um, but do you feel fearful when you go to these places? Um, well, I don't. After what happened to Percy Parker and others. Yeah. yeah so the last one, not really, because there were so many women supportive, mm. and there were men there as well. So that was fine. But I went to, the one time I did feel fearful, I was at a protest. I always get really nervous going to these protests because with street interviews, like, you're probably not going to get attacked by the average person on the no. street. But at, with, at a protest. Yeah. yeah. So we try and, and I don't want to do it. I would rather be like out and proud. But if I go in like, hi, I'm a right-wing media yeah, organization, yeah, yeah. they're not going to say anything. No, sure, sure. So I'm just like, what's your opinion on this? Yes, what's your opinion? Yes. And this one was on, um, conversion therapy, trans conversion therapy, sure. which is basically trying to stop um, doctors and medical professionals. Um, From telling so, boys that yeah. they're boys and girls that they're girls. Exactly, yeah. bandits. And stop converting children. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, well, literally converting exactly, exactly, children. Exactly. But um, yeah, so I went to this protest and there are also trans people there. And again, big grown men, very mm. scary. Mm. 
and nothing came about it. Like I wasn't attached sure, to anything. Sure. But they got the microphone, uh, the megaphone, and you know, any time I tried to speak to someone, they realised who we were. Yeah, they just screamed in our face. Drown you out. Yeah. Silence, so, yeah. but luckily nothing's happened. Well, that's good. That's good. I mean, uh, it, it is absolutely true that it is becoming much more violent, much more demented. But I th and I do think it is the rhetoric which helps to feed this. Because, for example, I'll give you an example. The, the term transgender genocide is very much doing the rounds on social media, particularly in these sorts of ideological circles. And if you think about it, if you genuinely subscribe to the belief that trans people in our society, because of the, because of the, you know, the, the systemic framework of our society, are sort of face an ever-present danger of genocide, what won't you do to try and prevent that? So all of a sudden, um, assault and even murder becomes perversely sort of self-defense. Yeah, it's uh, quite, once you once you framed the debate in that way. And not, and just one more point, Evan. The other thing I find interesting about that is that it's sort of the, the opinion-forming establishment gives credence to that term transgender um, mm -hmm. transgender genocide. So I'll give you an example. If you go, I, and I encourage our viewers to do this. If you go onto Wikipedia right now and type in transgender genocide. It will give you a definition which sounds completely, which makes it sound like a, a completely uncontentious, a completely sensible, a completely neutral sociological concept. It even says a, a, a sociological concept used by activists and scholars, making it sound sort of dignifying it with that sort of description. Yet, if you go on to and then type into the Wikipedia about this, type in cultural Marxism, which I mean, I would argue is a much more sort of accurate description of a real phenomenon in the world, unlike transgender genocide. And in the first sentence, it says, cultural Marxism is a far-right anti-Semitic conspiracy theory. When Ben Shapiro uses it. <laughs> when Ben Shapiro uses it. Yeah. So um, the, 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 it's not just that this rhetoric is in existence and spreading in these circles. It's given credence by you know, the, the opinion-forming classes in our, in our society. And that makes it even more dangerous when it's not sort of called out and, 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 and condemned. Well, I don't know. I mean. I think with on the transgender genocide question, it's not necessarily in, in a way they're, they're being more honest than they realize because they're not specifically talking about like the actual murdering of trans people. I believe that there were mm. two uh, hate crimes against transgender people in sure. America in 2022 mm. or 2021, which is you know a third of the amount of kids who were killed in this last mass shooting. Sure. But what they're talking about really is the total eradication of the gender ideology or, or transgenderism, which, if it does happen, will lead to the kind of dissolution of a lot of this this trans movement and this growing body of people who are mm. now kind of the, the foot soldiers for sort of leftist hegemony. Mm. I would agree with you that, that they're, they're being sort of um, equivocal with their use of the term genocide, but they're, they're certainly aware of the fact they're, they're certainly aware of the sort of profound emotional content that that, ter that yeah. term has. Otherwise, they wouldn't use it. And the reason why they do use it, rather than a more neutral term like sort of, I know, the eradication of the ideology from the public sphere. If, yes. they, if they use that, which is a truer, you know, description of what people like us would ideally like to see happen, if they use that term, it's not going to have the same sort of uh, emotional impact on people. So they're, they're sort of, if they're playing a sort of a very cynical bait and switch game, and I think it's one that we should we should we should very much call out. Oh yeah, no, we should definitely not underestimate the leftist capability for propaganda. Mm. I mean, in the days following the shooting in the U.S., you had uh, in multiple states you had you know activists basically storming government buildings, holding up you know with seven fingers, which mm. was supposed to be for seven victims. So the six people who were you killed. know killed by the shooter, and then the, the shooter, shooter who was killed by the police, the seventh victim, mm. I guess, who is you know. Uh, been victimized by the society, which mm. you know 
refuse to, to accept them. But I mean, mm. just the fact that you would have the kind of moral zealotry mm. to willingness to like break into government buildings and then claim that, you know, with you know, basically standing over the, the you know the parents of mm. slain children, you have to be a total fanatic. But you you shouldn't underestimate. The, the the power of propaganda like that, like because it, because it can exercise people into a state where they're willing to to inflict violence on completely innocent people. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I, I think it's one of the things that um, one of the points that that's, uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn makes in the Gulag Archipelago. He talks about the difference between e between pre-modern evil and modern evil, and he uses the example of of, of Shakespeare's characters. He says even Shakespeare's villains, people like Iago in um, in, in Othello, people like Edmund in in King Lear, um, you know. They they never really kill more than about you know four or five people because because <laughs> they tend play. because they tend to be because it, it could be partly because it's a play but also because it's motivated it tend, they, by ambition or sort of greed. But Solzhenitsyn says, but in the modern age, you know, modern villains and he's obviously thinking about people like Stalin and Pol Pot and uh, and Mao. People will kill millions, and why is that? Because they have sort of ideological. Uh, uh, like you know, they have elaborate ideological justifications for that, that evil, which sure. Shakespeare's characters lacked. Shakespeare's characters, he says, didn't have any ideology, and as such, you know, Shakespeare's villains never get further than about four or five corpses. That's what Solzhenitsyn sure. says in the, in the Gulag Archipelago. Well, to refer off of uh, Shakespeare, my favorite play of his, Coriolanus, um, which is the only Shakespeare play to ever be banned in a Western country. It was banned in uh, Germany when Germany was being put back together. Too militaristic. Fun, ah, okay. fun fact. Yes, yes that's interesting. Um, but the question I would like to ask you, Jess, is you know, there's this famous line in this play where he says, you know, only fire can drive out a fire, only one nail can drive out a nail. As he's talking about, you know, kind of returning to take his vengeance upon Rome, and he's like, we have to kind of, you know, meet them with the full force that they're they're attacking us with. Mm. And I think a lot of this was actually an issue with, with Matt Walsh and Constant Kissing. They got into it about this, where it's like, well, we need to be accepting of these people, and we need to, you know meet them halfway and try to persuade other people that, you know, to walk back from some of the more outrageous claims here. But I'm not sure if this is really a successful strategy. I think that the response to this kind of transmania, which is, you know, becoming more violent um, and is certainly more fanatical now by the day, um, a proper counter response to this, do you think it's going to be coming from doing Vox Vox on the streets? Um, and just kind of getting people to confront the absurdity of their own beliefs. Do you think it'll come from kind of coming on podcasts and writing articles and essays, kind of disentangling this ideology and pointing out where it's absurd? Or do you think that there's going to have to be something with a little bit more force behind it? Um, that could be legally, or it might even just be sort of ethically in an, in an intensity, like meeting them head on with the same amount of zeal that they're you know, attacking these poor women with. Yeah, I'm not for compromise at all. I think if you're a biological man who wants to go into a woman's toilets, I'm not compromising <laughs> with that. Good. Um, same with the uh, children stuff. I think if you want to harm kids, I'm not compromising with that. That's absolutely insane. Um, I think you have to fight feelings with feelings. I think you have to realise, despite, you know, Ben Shapiro, my hero, facts don't care about your feelings. <laughs> I think feelings really do matter. You know, it's not just, you know, um, saying that a woman is not a human female, it's what's behind that. It's, mm. you know, how this impacts people, whether mm. that be the girl um, in Primark crying, or all these women getting hurt, Posey Park getting soup on, that's awful. Mm. And I think that's the only way to it, to expose them, mm. to expose the consequences of what's going on. I think that's how you do it. Yes. Because people just think it's about tolerance and inclusion when it's not. It's about hurting women and children, and men as well. Men are caught in the fire with this. 
And I think that's the only way when you realise, like, this is the actual impact of that. Mm. Like, as you were saying before, the trans activists, they think, you know, it is a transgenocide. They are loaded up. And when you have that perspective, it's easy to not justify, but to understand why they do that kind of stuff. But you have to, the only way to fight that is to say, this is the other side. Women are getting hurt. Children, vulnerable children are getting hurt. And we need to take that into consideration. And I think, but another thing as well, also you have to understand, um, I do disagree with some of what Matt Walsh, his rhetoric. I don't care about being nice. but I do think you have to realise when it comes to kids, for example, I think of my friend who I was talking about before, who had problems at home and then he came out as gender fluid mm. and then a woman. I don't want there to be more people mm. like him. Like I think there could have been a better solution to him, a happier ending with that, rather than him being so insecure about mm. himself that he wants to possibly go through harmful surgery. I think when it comes to people like that who are maybe have mental health issues, maybe don't conform to gender stereotypes. I think we need to come at them from a human perspective. Mm. Say like, look, I understand you have these issues, but you shouldn't have to go through this awful surgery. You shouldn't have to go on puberty blockers. That won't Mm. make you feel Mm. better. And it doesn't make any sense. Do you think that there's a difference? I'm quite sympathetic to what you just said, but do you think there's a difference between Know, engaging this issue in the public square where I think I, we do need to, as you were just saying to fight feelings with feelings we do need to be incredibly robust and dealing on an interpersonal level with loved ones that we have I mean so for example if I had a cousin who was feeling this way inclined I wouldn't be sort of you know delivering the full ire of Matt Walsh onto, yeah. on, onto him <laughs> no, or nor, and nor should you and nor should I yeah. but, but in the, if it's in the public sphere and there is a debate saying what is a woman and you've got a very you know ba- ba- badly motivated bad faith activists on one side I think the way you would treat that person, it's, it's the same, you're, 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 it's, it, I would treat them very different, differently to how I would treat victims of that ideology in my personal life. Yeah, yeah. I, I, would, I would 100% agree. But you're not going to convert Dylan Mulvaney, for example. Sure. But like you said, if you had a cousin like that, if you have a friend like that, you can have this conversation. Mm. And oftentimes like, they can't justify it in their head. And mm. when you come up with alternatives, like maybe say to them maybe if you're the only reasonable voice in their life because everyone else doesn't understand this sure. you know if you say to them maybe think this through this is the actual implications um like one of the things in time to think kind of answers recent book about yes. Tavistock. yes um basically the effect of puberty blockers means that they it's so affirming that they basically it, just go on they to, double down on the feelings. yeah they double down on it and mm. so I think if you have that voice, mm. you know, if you have that voice of reason to say, actually, maybe this is the solution, mm. you know, I think that's the way forward. And I think that's how more sort of treating transgenderism as an ideology, mm. because if you go against it, you're seen as bigoted. Yes. That's the issue. Yes, yes. Well, I mean, one possibly, you know, hopeful thought is that if it only took about seven years to overturn millennia of common sense, how lo- it, it can't take us that long with the sort of uh, passion that you embody, Jess, and that we certainly share. Uh, it can't take that long for us to overturn no. seven years of madness. Yeah, I don't think this is actually going to be with us by the time we hit, you know, 2035 or whatever. But I do think that the the wind down from, you know, kind mm. of the hysteria that we, we've built into our culture at this point, it's going to be pretty scary. It's going to be and, collateral and, damage. And shocking. Um, 
And I worry too about a lot of, you know, there's a lot of brave detransitioners now. So people who, who transitioned in one form or another and have kind of wound it back coming out now. And some of them are even, you know, suing some of these clinics mm. that fast-tracked them into like mastectomies when they were 16 or mm. sterilization, mm. which is another thing that's happening to a lot of young gay men. Yes. Who, you know, basically if you give them enough time will realize, no, I'm a man, I'm just gay, I'm not a woman. But the problem is, it's like once you've taken this sort of hormonal doses at the level that is being prescribed to them you know they're they're basically permanently sterilized which is not a huge problem with gay men but also impotent which i hear is not a lot of fun <laughs> and you know i think that the the, the wind down is, some of these people are going to come out these detransitioners and they're going to become you know the best allies for the movement who wants mm. to see you know kind of careful and, and humane um winding back of, of transmania but a lot of these people now have a like they're going to be falling prey to a sunk cost fallacy like well I, I've done this I'm to so far I'm so far into it I may exactly. as well wait further exactly and mm. and I think that these are the people who are going to become especially scary and this is just something I'm more and more worried about now after you know the events in America but I think this is not going to last but we're not even close to you know peak trans which mm. I know has been argued about online I think we've got a way to go before things start getting seriously um, de-escalated. Would you agree with that? Um, I don't think it's just been around for seven years. This has been around for decades since like John Money and all of that sure. stuff. Um, but I, I also don't, I don't think it's just going to be enough with voices. Mm -hmm. Even though we've had a conservative uh, government for the past decade or so, um, that's not being enough because we have like legislation like the Equality Act, the Gender Recognition Act, mm. pumping it up, um, uh, NGOs, mm. um, Blob civil service, mm. they're all perpetuating this ideology, teaching it in schools. And I think that's the main issue. I mm. think it's going to be a bigger beast of battle than yes. you know, Dylan Mulvaney getting mm. a Nike sponsorship. <laughs> I think you're right, but we're, we're, we're here for the long haul. And um, you know, reality has a way of catching up with fantasy sooner or later, and hopefully, you know, Godspeed that, that journey. Um, thank you very much for joining me, Jess Gill and Evan Riggs. You've been watching Deprogrammed, and we shall see you next week. Hello. If you're enjoying the New Culture Forum channel and you believe in our mission, may I invite you to join our membership scheme at the link below or on our website, newcultureforum.org.uk. Our work is more important now than ever, and we have great plans ahead for the future, but we can't do it without your support. From as little as £3 per month, you can help ensure that we continue on our mission. As a member, you'll receive a range of benefits, including access to exclusive content, invitations to our private events, including here at our studios, free copies of our books, and much, much more, including, of course, our famous NCF mug. If you aren't able to become a member, then please help us by clicking this button and subscribing to our channel. It's completely free. Just remember, also click the bell icon so that you can get notifications when we post new videos. Thank you.